Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 17 from the World English Bible. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Paul, as was his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and not a few of the chief women. But the unpersuaded Jews took along some wicked men from the marketplace, and gathering a crowd, set the city in an uproar. Assaulting the house of Jason, they sought to bring them out to the people. When they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and certain brothers before the rulers of the city, crying, These who have turned the world upside down have come here also, whom Jason has received. These all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The multitude and the rulers of the city were troubled when they heard these things. When they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, also of the prominent Greek women, and not a few men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there likewise, agitating the multitudes. Then the brothers immediately sent out Paul to go as far as to the sea, and Silas and Timothy still stayed there. But those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. Receiving a commandment to Silas and Timothy that they should come to him very quickly, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who met him. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also were conversing with him. Some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be advocating foreign deities, because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. They took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is, which you are speaking about, for you bring certain strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers living there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, 
You men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious in all things. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, I announced to you, the God who made the world and all things in it. He, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He isn't served by men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the surface of the earth, having determined appointed seasons and the boundaries of their dwellings, that they should seek the Lord, if perhaps they might reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone engraved by art and design of man. The times of ignorance, therefore, God overlooked. But now he commands that all people everywhere should repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained of which he has given assurance to all men, in that he has raised him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We want to hear you again concerning this. Thus Paul went out from among them, but certain men joined with him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. That is the end of chapter 17. So they have just left Philippi in Macedonia during what we commonly refer to as Paul's second missionary journey. They pass through Amphipolis, maybe 25 miles south and slightly west of Philippi, and Apollonia, another 25 miles in that same direction. Both are along the southern coast of Macedonia on the Aegean Sea, which is the large, distinct waters between the Mediterranean Sea and the Black Sea. The Aegean Sea is still what we call it today between modern-day Greece and Turkey. There are a lot of islands in the Aegean Sea, and the island of Crete is basically the most southern part of the Aegean Sea, kind of forming a border between what is known as the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Paul will end up in Crete in chapter 27 due to contrary winds. So according to verse 1, it says Paul ends up in Thessalonica for a while. Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones says this happens at about 51 AD, whereas the events of chapter 27 are about 60 AD, about nine years later. Philippians 4.16 says the new Christians in Philippi, where he just came from, sent him aid, sent Paul aid while he was in Thessalonica. And of course, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians are letters addressed to these people. Right away, Paul goes to the Jewish synagogue, and it's stated that this was his custom. At first glance, this might seem odd, since we know that he recognizes that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But not only did he want his Jewish kin to be saved, notice that again, per verse 4, there were many devout Greeks also there. In other words, Gentiles whose hearts were already seeking God 
could also be found at Jewish synagogues. Paul first went where people who were apparently seeking God were, though we know that some of the Jews obviously were there for different reasons for status and couldn't be persuaded to believe. But verse 2 says he reasoned with them. He showed them how the message of the gospel, the details about Jesus being the Christ, made sense. And in this case, starting in the synagogue, he could start with the scriptures that would be the Old Testament here, because the scriptures were already established for the Jews, because those who had written them had been verified as prophetic, speaking for God, and they had been verified through things like miracles and prophecies that were already fulfilled. So they knew that if he told them things that were based on the scriptures, he has a foundation for that. So he can say Jesus is the Christ because they are or should be looking for the Christ, which is the Greek term, or the Messiah, which is the Hebrew term. And he does this, again, in a logical, reasoned way, and some were persuaded. It is interesting how chief or leading women, depending on the translation, keep getting mentioned, as in verse 4 and verse 12. Strong's says the word means having rank or influence. Now, in Acts 13.50, this position was used negatively, but here in this chapter, both times it's mentioned, and with the account of Lydia in chapter 16, it speaks of godly chief women. This also emphasizes that this was an individual personal decision to follow Jesus the Christ. And here in our time period where we are often given the idea that throughout the rest of history, men had all the power and women were just did what they told, we see this is not historically sound and the women were responsible for their own repentance. Regarding the jealous Jews, there's a note in my Bible that says, calling them jealous or envious is not in the original text, but either way, it's obvious that they have no tolerance here. They are out for blood and whatever it takes to maintain the status quo. Um, And the gospel makes all men brothers. Now, according to verse six, the work of Paul in the gospel has been talked about already because even these people who are speaking against it here say, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So, They validate the life-changing nature of the gospel message. In context, it seems that Jason was a new believer in Christ. It seems to list him as the head or representative of the brethren. And then also we have Romans 16.21, where he is listed among those sending a greeting along with Paul to the Romans in the epistle to the Romans. It doesn't say, but I found myself wondering if he was among the devout Greeks in the synagogue. I also wondered how large this town of Thessalonica was, and if Jason, being someone who had the room and the means to keep visitors, was fairly well known. And at least the record here, uh, the troublemaking Jews simply refer to him as Jason by his first name only. There seems to be the implication that either Theophilus, to whom the book of Acts is written as an account, may have known who Jason was, or that it could be easy for him to find out, or else why mention his name? So again, they state the main problem, the people who are railing against Paul. The gospel conflicts with humankind's worldly systems and lust for control over other men. But then they just get their fee, the magistrates anyway, just get their fee and let Jason and the others out on bail. 
Verse 2 states that Paul had been there for three Sabbaths, so that would entail at least two full weeks. It seems during that time that if news of Paul's previous trouble, including being stoned and left for dead, hadn't traveled there, maybe stories about what he had endured had been shared as part of the whole story. One way or another, they knew enough to take this threat, this new threat, very seriously and secret him away by night to Berea, which is about 75 miles, mostly west and somewhat south of Thessalonica. This is not the first time that Paul has fled by night. You can see that in Acts 9.25, he fled from Damascus in a similar way. And where did they go first when they got to Berea? The synagogue. The narrative here right away says that those in this synagogue, at least as a group, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, which is curious because many in Thessalonica did also become believers. So what exactly does noble mean? The New King James Version actually translates this as fair-minded, and we might just think it was speaking of rank, but the text goes on to explain this description, that they are noble because they both received the word with readiness and searched the scriptures themselves, which led to many of them believing. Strong's lexicon was not much help to me, as it just says that noble, or the Hebrew word that is translated noble, just means noble. The key seems to be the comparison. They ranked better in their response overall as a group, and their response was of higher quality. When I looked in the Google Dictionary, it says that noble means of high moral character and paying attention to duty, so they made good choices. But unfortunately, as with before, the irritated Jews follow. And I think, don't they have jobs or responsibilities? Can they just so easily go from city to city trying to kill people? So again, the Christians in Berea sent Paul away quickly, this time to Athens. And he sends word back, even as he seems to be getting on a boat or something, that he would like Silas and Timothy to come right away. Athens is quite a bit farther away down southeast at the tip of a peninsula, about 50 miles from Corinth. And here is a totally different situation. Now, Paul does go to the synagogue reasoning again, but while he's around there, some local philosophers run into him and find his teachings to be curious. The general tone is that they simply find it to be a diversion. They don't have a what you would call a legitimate interest in what he's talking about per se. And it seems like they take him with some force to the Areopagus, which is also known as Mars Hill or the Hill of Ares, because that's another name for Mars. The two groups are called Epicureans and Stoics. When I looked up a description of those, the Epicurean philosophers think that the full meaning of life is to pursue pleasure, and the Stoics are pantheists, who value moral duty and sincerity. That's an interesting mix of people there discussing things. But Paul goes ahead and seizes the moment, but he doesn't reason from Scripture. He starts with things in their culture, and in this case, that is the altar to the unknown God. This doesn't mean that he never will get to Scripture, but he needs to start in another place just to get them to listen. Ken Ham, in particular, has a book that discusses the necessity for different approaches based on different people's view of Scripture. But also, this example of the unknown God reminds me of a story 
called Peace Child about some missionaries who went and learned about a tribe and found things within their culture that hint, that remind, that are bringing people to the idea that there really is this one true God and that there needs to be reconciliation. There are those kinds of things in every culture, much like it says in Ecclesiastes that eternity is in our hearts and we are always looking for something to make sense of life. Now, Paul doesn't take long to get to the point still. He says, let me introduce you to the God who made the world and gives you your very existence, your every breath, and all men are related by blood. Plus, every man can seek God and he is not far at all. In fact, all you have to try and do is, even if your eyes are closed and groping in the dark, he's right there. You'll find him if you're trying in the least little bit, sincerely. And then Paul quotes their poets using the word offspring. And here he is referring to creation. All are created by God. This is a different usage of the word offspring than in John 1.12, where it says he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed. So notice again that this usage of the word offspring as having been created by God is prefaced by the idea that they need to seek God and then followed up with the idea that they need to repent because there will be judgment and that we have assurance of all these truths because Jesus was raised from the dead. So while Paul doesn't begin with scripture, he surely goes to something that if they took any time at all, they could find out to verify. But some mock and then some believe. And we are given some names. There's a prominent man of Mars Hill and a woman whose name would apparently be known. And then Paul departed. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey. 